The day after me and my queer friends were kind of chastised and uh, attacked, question mark, (laughs) at the pickleball courts, I made a um, podcast about it. But listening back, I just kind of feel like it's dumb because I don't really feel like it's necessary to get into all the details and like nitty gritty of what happened. Um, I think suffice it to say that we left that night feeling really uh, traumatized and like just not welcomed, I guess, I guess, by the people who were there. Um, And, you know, you can imagine, I guess, what happened. But uh, we were, you know, essentially singled out as different and the queer people um, compared to this kind of in-group of of specifically Bethel people and BM people um, who were there at the courts. Um, and again, I don't want to get into a lot of the details of it just because I think it doesn't really deserve th- uh, my time talking about. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't that bad, but it wasn't that good. <laughs> so um, what I did want to talk about, though, is about um, the danger of being known in a small town uh, for being queer and what that looks like um, just as a queer individual kind of existing in a space where either people know about you because of, for instance, this podcast or because of social media or uh, because of how you present in society. Um, and especially when, you know, there's not a lot of us here, it can cause some negative things to happen, (laughs) uh, just when you're known, you know, in that way. Um, and I don't mean that in like a, like we're popular or famous, obviously. I mean that in like, a we like people kind of whistleblow on us in a way, um, like we're we are kind of called out as those people and therefore we are not, you know, part of the in-group that exists here um, to a large extent. And then also I want to talk about the importance of allyship and how allies are what can prevent um, negative experiences and instances like we experienced that night at the pickleball courts. Um, and yeah, I'm going to do that by referencing a few podcasts or, uh, guests that were on specifically the man enough podcast, because I think they really explain kind of, uh, why it's important to, stand up for queer people and I also want to talk about how I you know I'm kind of used to filling that role but have recently especially just with uh, becoming more associated with more queer people and also just I guess the more you know the flowering of my queerness (laughs) um, I've become less able to do that because the straight people that used to listen to me kind of don't listen to me anymore Um, and so that is what I will be discussing this episode of queer therapy. This is also going to be a random drop. I think I'm going to do it like today or tomorrow. Um, and it's not really in the lineup of queer therapies because I'm not going to be talking about my, uh, current queer therapy or anything. This is just kind of a little like 
random extra super secret special episode. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Queer Therapy. So yeah, I think this is just a pod where I just wanted to talk about how it's it's uh, it's very jarring when you know there's a group of people who feel that they have power, especially in a small town to go into public spaces and to try to dominate those public spaces and expel anyone that doesn't have the same beliefs or who doesn't look like them from existing in those spaces. Um, and I think that that's toxic and that that needs to be extremely called out and checked because, you know, that is the way that we're moving towards fascism. I mean, that's the bottom line is like, like the beliefs that they're holding are actually pushing us more towards a, f- a fascistic state where you're not allowed to hold different views. And if you do, you're going to be expelled um, by force, you know, and that's that's how we felt. So uh, we kind of left and we're like pretty shaky. We were shaken up um, and we felt pretty traumatized and we, we debriefed over uh, some In-N-Out hamburgers. <laughs> but uh Uh, yeah, it was jarring. And I just, I want to kind of transition this uh, podcast into talking about why it matters to be an ally and how straight people who are allies can help prevent this type of uh, abuse and uh, experience for for queer people um, by using the beautiful uh, trans activist Angelica Ross, who was on the Man Enough podcast recently. Um, And she talked about, she talks about how uh, her experience in the military uh, before she transitioned was really interesting because a lot of the men uh, would were obviously really against her and kind of could could tell like that she was that she was a woman but was you know in a man's body and would kind of treat her that way in a really negative and scary way but that there were very specific men who could kind of tell what was going on with her and who would uh, defend her against those other toxic and scary straight men. And I think that that, you know, if there's any function of an ally in this society, it's that function. It's, you know, it's the function of having straight men who can communicate with the other straight men that it's not okay and not cool to attack these queer people. So I'm going to play some clips from that, uh, from that podcast and I hope you enjoy that and uh, it gives you some perspective Um, so yeah so this is Angelica Ross on the Man Enough podcast called What It Means to Be a Protector with Angelica Ross but even when I was in the military the other guys treated me a little differently Mm -hmm. because it was just in my being that my masculinity wasn't there on par with them. I was one to be protected in the space. It was very interesting. Oh. So it was like it was like as if I was still a girl in the space and some of them responded very differently. Like some of them responded in ways of being uh, a protector for me because they knew what was kind of going on with me mm. and where others were trying to beat it out of me or tease it, you know, um the what do they call it? Hazing, you know. Yeah. And what percentage was it? Was it half and half? Half were protective of you and half were No. No. It was most were against me. Okay. And it was Couple just like protected. these few that like stood out that just helped make it not so bad for and me. What are those men like? The, that the that exception? What do they have in common? That's, that's a good different? question. You know, that's a great question. Um 
That's a great question because, I, you know, I feel like they all seem to see me mm. and and not be threatened by it. Mm. Um, it, it was so un understated and not talked about or what have you, but like, it was just this thing of, they were true protectors. Like, um, you know, someone who like, and I think about men who, I love my people, you know what I'm saying? Like, I love my people, black people. And I'm, and sometimes I'm very, because of that love, I show a lot of that challenge and criticism, like like James Baldwin would say, you know, I love America so yeah. much that I'm willing to criticize, you know. And, you know, so, so many folks talk about being kings, black kings, mm -hmm. but you can't serve and protect the entire kingdom. You're not gonna protect that feminine young boy or that trans kid. They're not worthy of your protection. Like, so for me, it's, it's a certain, that quality is someone who understands their strength and is there to, to utilize that for whoever needs to feel protected. Mm. Like that's, that to me is a man. Mm. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? That's a man. I'll be damned. I cannot believe some of these cis women out here having children with men who they know will not protect their queer kids if they have them. Mm. Mm. It's like abort, abort. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Most of the time I present as a more masculine, I would say, although <laughs> some of my queer friends would beg to differ, but when I'm in straight society, I feel like I present as a pretty much cis hetero white man. And it's definitely kind of a facade that I, that I put on. I definitely do a lot of trading. Um, but a lot of the times I can kind of act as that liaison, like between my queer friends and straight people. Um, but there are times and as life is going on for me and I'm kind of coming more into my full queerness that I'm not able to do that anymore or at least I'm clocked as one of them and so I think last night was a good example of that like the men were not really acknowledging me they weren't saying hi it wasn't the normal kind of in that I have that I can use to kind of protect the queers around me um because you know most of the time I can validate the queers that are around me you know that's just the fact is like a lot of the times I I can act as that um, that safety and that validation for them because I can speak their language and I know I know how to speak you know to essentially to my oppressors <laughs> so um, it's very it's an interesting you know very interesting like function and and role that I that I can play most of the time but I'm kind of finding that as you know as life goes on I'm needing to rely on straight people and my straight allies to do that for me as there are instances and spaces where I can't do that. So um, I think Angelica puts it so beautifully where like those are the real men of society who view their role as protecting their kingdom. You know, they, they view their role in society as protecting humans 
And I mean, what does it say about you if you can't protect the least of these, you know? I mean, I hate to call us like the queers the least of these, the least of us, but I guess it's like if you can't protect the people who are being attacked, if you can't protect people who, you know, our society, our government, our politicians are putting on blast when, you know, we're like a minority of less than 2% of the country, then who are you as a man? That's what I want to, you know, that's what I have questions about. Who the fuck are you as a man if you can't protect them? Um, Like against your own fucking friends. That's kind of what is really, it's pretty confusing to me. So, um, yeah, I think if you want to be an ally, then then show it. Uh, I have another clip that I'm going going to play from Alok uh, Menon, who is also on the Man Enough uh, podcast. Um, I they're also a trans activist and um, have written lots of books. I believe they went to Stanford University and just have all the accolades that you could think of. Um, but they are on a podcast called. The Urgent Need for Compassion on the Man Enough podcast. It starts with one of the hosts asking a question, and then Elok responds. I don't want to make a false equivalence, but being black, I've experienced um, trying to find a way to navigate through it all. Um, And some of us who are oppressed um, have more capacity to mm. deal with the bullshit mm. than another. Mm. Doesn't make us better. It means that for whatever reason, we're able. Um, and we need people that are able to do that so that those can learn right. who otherwise wouldn't. I'm sorry. I'm taking a long time getting out because I'm also getting emotional because I have, I personally, through my life, who champions people, I don't get it all. Mm. And I'm feeling bad that I don't get it because you're fucking amazing. Mm. Mm. And I'm listening to you speak and I'm like, why do I not fight for them? Why do I have such passion for other things? But this one I have a disconnect with. Um, So what do I need to unlearn? What do I, how can I help other, and I particularly talk about men, help them unlearn? Mm. Mm. Let's get into it. I'm non-binary, which means it's not just that I'm challenging the binary between male, female, man, woman, but between us and them. And in your statement, you said, why don't I help them as if this struggle is not your struggle too? The reason you don't fight for me is because you're not fighting for yourself fully. And any movement that's trying to emancipate men from the shackles of heteropatriarchy or emancipate women from traditional gender ideology has to have trans and non-binary people at the forefront because we are actually the most honest. We're tracing the root. Where do these ideas of manhood and womanhood come from? They come from a binary structure. And so that's why people like me who are visibly gender non-conforming, who are both feminine and masculine and none of the above, we experience the brunt of all of these collective fantasies that were created that are killing other people that are also killing us. It just looks different. Mm. And so one of the things that I try to do in my work is say, don't show up for me because you wanna protect me or you wanna help me. I don't need your help. I have an unshakable and irrevocable sense of who I am because I am divine. 
I come from people who were exterminated and targeted by colonists because the gender binary, and we can get into this, was superimposed on black people, indigenous people, and people of color by European colonists. And the reason that they targeted us is because they knew our power, right? So the reason that there's so much animus against me is because of my power. I don't need to be legitimized or I don't have anything to prove. What I want us to rephrase the conversation is, are you ready to heal? And I don't think the majority of people are ready to heal. And that's why they repress us as trans and gender variant people, because they've done this violence to themselves first. They've repressed their own femininity. They've repressed their own gender nonconformity. They've repressed their own ambivalence. They've repressed their own creativity. And so when they see us have the audacity to live a life without compromise, where we say there are no trade-offs, where we say we actually get to carve in the marrow of this earth and create our own goddamn beauty, instead of saying thank you for teaching me another way to live, they try to disappear us because they did that to themselves first. So. I guess I would rephrase your question to be, can you help me get free? Not, can you help me help you? Mm. One of the things that we don't speak enough about is that we don't know how to see each other for each other. We see each other for what we think one another should be. Mm. So we're constantly, when you say pedestal, I think that's dehumanizing. Mm because we're at a table and that's what it means to be alive. It's to look at each other horizontally, not need to put each other on pedestals. And that we inherit that of saying that the only way that people have value is if they're saints. But I actually believe that people have value because they're the opposite of being a saint. And I actually believe that there's a dignity just to being, not to doing. So if we actually believe that people have dignity for being, not doing, there's a kind of mercy and a kind of love that I have for everyone because we've only been conditioned into feeling like we can be loved if we emulate some standards that were created by someone else. So people have not experienced my kind of love before. Because what I'm actually telling men is you don't have to be masculine. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be all knowing. What I'm actually telling men is you're allowed to be vulnerable. You're allowed to be human. And people don't know how to receive that love. And I think that's the paradigm shift I really want to move away from, is that the fear and the danger makes it so that people aren't ready to receive love. People have been taught to fear the very things that have the potential to set them free. This has nothing to do with trans and non-binary people. It's never been about us. It's not about what we look like. It's about what they feel like. Mm. And they don't know how to feel love like we can give. And that's why marginalized communities are persecuted. It's not because of what we look like, what we're saying, our identities, our pronouns, our nomenclatures, our language, our scholarship. It's because of the presence of love that people feel like they can't actually inherit on this earth. And so the reason that there's so much violence that men are siphoning onto us is because they don't love themselves. Mm. Yeah. And so they see our self-love right? They see, I have men come up to me in New York City and say, I used to wear my mom's dresses when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say, what happened? And they can't even articulate that. And that's where our starting ground is. You don't even have the language to articulate a wound. So you don't even know that you're hurting and that you're bleeding. Mm -hmm. 
And what we as transgender and non-conforming people said is that there's a wound here mm. and I'm going to commit my life to actually realigning my spiritual core such that I never have to compromise myself for other people's love. And I'm going to prioritize and choose me in a world that makes me have to contour myself into someone else's fiction. And, and so what I tell men is this is not about accepting transgender non-conforming people. This is about accepting yourself. And if you do that work first, everything I'm going to say is makes sense. But if you don't do that work, everything that I say is going to be inherited as an attack from a zero-sum ideology that makes you think that if other people thrive, you must somehow lose something. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening with misogyny in this country right now. I really try to bring history into the conversation because one of the things that is really important to name is people like me are honestly delegitimized and discredited by every institution of media in this country because this kind of knowledge, they'd rather put us on a drag show and laugh at us than actually listen to us, right? We're more acceptable when we're entertaining you and not when we're educating you. So I actually want to remind people that I'm a scholar and I have certifications in everything that I study. So in the early 20th century, when women were making the claim for the right to vote, what did men do? They created postcards that actually had women dressed up as men and men dressed up as women. And they said, if women get the right to vote, we're going to be feminized and we're going to lose power. And it's going to be women who are making us do what we've done to women, take care of the kids and stay at home. Women were basically just saying, we want the right to vote. And men heard that as, I'm losing power. And then here we are a hundred years later, trans and gender non-conforming people are saying, hey everyone, I wanna be able to exist. I wanna be able to walk outside without being spat on. I wanna be able to live and not fear dying. I wanna be able to wear what I'm wearing and not be called brave. I wanna be able to actually have people regard my humanity, not some one-dimensional trope that they're getting from these racist and transphobic algorithms. And people are saying, that's a threat. <laughs> Darling, the threat is a system that has made you mistake your latent disassociation as a personality. That's the threat. Mm. So I'm kind of letting these trans activists carry this podcast at the moment. <laughs> um, but I figured they said it first and they said it best. So I don't think that me reiterating what they've said would do any good. Um, but go listen to both of those podcasts in full because they will change your life, I think. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, the experience we had last night was, uh, you know, pretty awful. And I think in response to that, I would say, uh, you know, there's an urgent need for compassion. <laughs> uh, there's an urgent need for manhood that looks different than uh, what you think it does and what, what you were taught it looks like based on, uh, you know, the history that exists within patriarchy and, uh, you know, colonialism. So I would look to these amazing scholars for any more research or information on the historical facts behind that and essentially how to get free. But um, I think freedom is absolutely at the forefront of what is needed to remedy a situation like this. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to take work and, uh, you know, bottom line is exactly what Alok said. Like, we're not out here trying to uh, attack you. And if you view it as an attack, then I think you have a wrong perspective because 
you know, I had someone write in asking me if I think the patriarchy affects everyone. And absolutely, you know, this isn't a fight where we're asking for your help to make our lives better. We are asking you to wake up and realize that the fight is actually yours just as much as it is ours. And once you realize that, you really will be free. Um, so yeah, I'm going to leave it there. And I don't have a, I don't have a queer therapy uh, this week or this episode uh, to recount. But I will say that my queer therapy is... I guess, standing our ground and standing up for ourselves when a lot of people wouldn't and, you know, blowing the whistle when I think it matters because a lot of times, you know, this stuff happens to us all the time. Like last night was pretty intense, I think, just because of the sheer volume of people that were there. But to be honest, this isn't new for us. This is pretty much our normal. But I did want to kind of pull the curtain back for you and let you see kind of our post uh, you know, the fallout, like the post uh, feelings of of experiencing something like that that felt kind of intense in the moment. Um, yeah, but again, it's nothing new and we'll be okay because we experience it on, you know, a pretty daily basis. So, um, but yeah, I am so thankful again for you listening uh, to this pod. And if you can relate to any of this, write in and let me know. I would love to know, again, what your career, what your current queer therapy is, and I'll be back next time, hopefully with another, with a segment on how my, uh, how my queer therapy went. Um, but again, thanks for listening. Here's some ASMR. Okay, love you people. Bye.